chapter 27. Has anybody here heard of the name Richard Allen? No? That's okay, I didn't know who he was either. So, Richard Allen, he is the founder of the first black denomination in, in the United States. The very first. But now the story of how he came to found that first black church is not one that in the church world should be very proud of. Matter of fact, when we hear it today, it's probably going to disgust us a little. Disgust us a little bit, and we might even be a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around how it could happen this way. But anyway, Richard Allen, he was born as a slave in Philadelphia in 1760. That is 16 years before our country even started. Richard Allen, he was fortunate though. He was sold to a slave in Del uh, to a slave owner in Delaware, who came to believe that slavery was wrong. Don't, it doesn't, I don't know how he got there, what led to that path, but all I can say is this: that God brought him to that moment, and he recognized that he was not supposed to own another human being. And so he allowed Richard Allen to earn his freedom. And so with that freedom, he, he got a job, and he became a licensed lay pastor in the, the Methodist Episcopal Church. At that time, he was serving at a church called St. George's back in Philadelphia. And while that church allowed black members to come and attend the services, when it came time to take communion, they had to wait and make sure that there were enough for the white folks first. And then on top of that, they had to sit in a specially designated area for the black people. Now, one particular Sunday, there were a couple of the black members who had gotten there, and they were found themselves in prayer before the Lord, crying and pouring their heart out to Him. What they were unaware of was the fact that they were not in the designated area where they were supposed to be. of the trustees of the church went to those black men as they're in the middle of prayer and grabbed them by the shoulder and picked them up and drug them away because they were in the wrong spot. Richard Allen was so disgusted with that that he, he got the rest of the black members in the church and they all walked out. And they started the American Method or African Methodist Episcopal Church. And you'll still see some of those churches around today. Like I said, that's a hard thing for us to swallow as Christians, isn't it? We can't believe that a so-called church would do something like that. That professing Christians could treat their brother or sister that way. And there's no doubt in our minds that what Richard Allen and his fellow 
black members of that church did by getting up and walking out, let, we know in our hearts that they did the right thing. They had a right just as anybody else to worship God. revelation from God to tell us that. We know it. Because our God is that big. Our God is that powerful. And he calls everyone to himself. Well, the passage we're going to look at today is one of those, it's quite like that. It points out the obvious. And we really don't need a special revelation Yeah. 
man, just because the right thing to do is obvious doesn't mean it's easy. I don't know if you've ever had to stand up and walk out of a church service before, but it's not an easy thing to do. It's a difficult decision to make because you know as soon as you stand up to leave, every, every eye is going to turn and look at you and start asking questions, why are they leaving? And I can imagine that at that time in society when Richard Allen left that it wasn't just a look of what's he doing, it was more of how dare they. But, but they were honoring God. And that did not take any special revelation to, to find that out. Now the text we're looking at today, it's, a, it's an odd situation. In, in the previous chapter of Numbers 26, Moses is starting to take count of the people. So that way when they get to the promised land, they know how to divide up the inheritance that God has promised them. But in the midst of trying to divide that up, it's almost like certain people were being overlooked. We're going to look at that today, try to answer our question, do we need a special revelation? So verses 1 through 4, let's go through it again. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Heifer, the son of Gilead, the son of Akar, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mahala, Noah, Oglet, Naga, and Kirza. And they approached the entrance to the tent of meeting, and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, and the leaders of the whole assembly, and said, Our father died in the desert. He was not among Korah's followers, who banded together against the Lord. But he died for his own sin, and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan, because he had no sons? Give us property among our father's relatives. Their dad was dead. That was a big deal. Their dad was dead, and it doesn't tell us why, but all it tells us here in the passage is that this man, that Zolophazad, he died because of his own sin. We don't know what that sin was, but we, it says here he died because of his sin. Now the daughters are quick to point out that their dad didn't die because of the sin of Korah's followers. And if you don't know what that story is, go back to your homework tonight and look at number 16. It's a group of, of the Israelites who try to rebel against Moses and Aaron. And God deals with them. But the daughters want to make sure that, that Moses and the entire assembly knows that their dad was not part of that rebellion. To make sure that they understood that they weren't rebelling against the promises of God, that their dad wasn't guilty of that, that he still was part of the promised inheritance of the promised land. But their dad was dead. To make matters worse, not only was their dad dead, but they didn't have any brothers. Because you see, the way it worked at this time period, if the dad died, then the, the son, the oldest son, or the son after that, they would be the ones that inherited, inherit the, the, the promise. The things that were, that were of the father, they would go to the son. But this man, he was dead and he had no sons. 
to really add to the problem, these daughters were not married. So they, their dad died, they had no brothers, and they were not married. Which, if, if the, the dad died, and he had no sons, usually, if he had daughters, and daughters were married, they had sons-in-laws, and they would be the ones who inherited, inherited the property and the things that the father owned to kind of keep the family name alive. It was kind of like a wedding present for that husband of, here is the father of all land. Congratulations. That, that didn't even work here. These daughters had no man in their life. It was just them. And they knew that there was a good chance as this land's being parceled out because their dad was dead. And Moses even mentions that back in chapter 26. There's a good chance that they're going to be overlooked and passed over for the inheritance that would go to him. And the history of their family would disappear. Their, their family would not be given a share of the inheritance that God had promised them simply because Zalapahad was dead, he had no sons, and he had no sons-in-laws. Simply because his daughters had no men in their life. Continuing on to verse 5. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Moses. You have to understand at this time, women were treated a little bit better than cattle, but not much. They were property. They were property and they were property that was that, that looked good and were good because they made people. When you were playing, you need people, don't you? It was a built-in farm system. You could hire from within. These daughters were living in a culture dominated by men who believed that the promise of God belonged to them. And that the only way the women of society would benefit in that was if they had a man in their life. But these daughters believed in that promise of God. They believed it went beyond the cultural boundaries. That it was indeed a promise made to their father and to their family. And they had the faith enough to trust in God, they, to be brave enough to go to Moses, in front of not just Moses, but also the high priest, not just Moses and the high priest, but the leaders of the community, the leaders of the nation, and the entire nation of Israel. They go to the very center of worship, the very center of life to the Hebrew. They go there to make sure they are heard and that their family is not overlooked. When Moses hears them, what does he do? I don't think he really knew what to do. Does he? He doesn't respond to the women's request. This is so crazy. 
He had not thought of this problem. I mean, this was a man's world and men owned the property. That's just the way it worked. But here are these women and they have a valid case brought before him. And he doesn't know how to handle it. So notice, notice how we have no commentary between Moses and anybody else between verse 4 and verse 5, do we? It just says, Moses went to seek the Lord. Because he had no clue what to do. And now he all at the same time, he does, he doesn't even give the other male leaders a chance to respond to what's happening. Because he knows what their response is going to be. Well, they have no man in their lives, so they should, you know, so I guess they're just sorry I left. They're going to have to get married. So Moses doesn't even give him a chance to try and fill his head with that. He knows that their question, their concern is valid. But given this, the way society operated, it was so outside of the way things normally happen, he didn't know what to do. So what's he do? He takes it to God. Doesn't even give anybody else a chance to respond first. property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. Moses had absolutely no clue what to do. He, he knew, he heard their concern, he knew what the problem was and it sounded like something that was reasonable. But it was so different from the time that he just didn't know. So he took it to God and says, God, God, you're going to have to give me a special revelation here. How am I supposed to handle this? Without hesitation, how does God respond? What they're saying is right. Give them the property. Go ahead and give it to them. God doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't, he doesn't try to build Moses up for the moment. He doesn't try to explain it to him why it's okay. He just... He just looks at Moses and says, yep, what they're saying is true. Do the right thing. Because the right thing to do was obvious. It was right there in front of him. God indeed had promised that the entire nation of Israel, every tribe, every clan, every family, every family in that nation was promised a piece of the promised land. just because these, these daughters had no man in their life that they would not inherit the promise of God. They had enough, the, the daughters had enough faith in God to, to go before Moses and, and this entire company of men in a men's world and declare that they believed in the promise of God and that, that, that indeed was a gift to them. Moses had enough faith in God to go to God and say, God, this is weird. This is so different from how things normally operate. God, I need you to tell me. And God, without hesitation, answered the faith of Moses and these daughters. Now, I know our question is, do we need a special revelation to do the right thing? 
But I want you to know we're not quite ready to answer that question yet. We're, we're not there. We still got a little bit. I, I think from this text there's some things that we have to focus on and, and try and wrap our minds around for us to understand the answer to that question. And it kind of starts with those daughters. They believed that a promise of God was a promise of God. That there wasn't a qualifying factor based on what your gender was, what race you were. They believe that when God gives you a promise that you can have the faith to know that he, is, he will be, do as he says he will do. That he will accomplish what he promises he will accomplish. And they had enough faith to trust him. Enough faith to trust him in a man's world and a, a culture dominated by men that said only women, only men can own property. The promise of God was only for the men. And if the women wanted it, they, they needed to have a man in their life. But they had enough faith to step outside of that normal boundary, that normal understanding, and say, no, God's promise belongs to us too. That's bold. That's some deep faith right there. I know for us that sounds weird, right here in 2020. We, we, you know, we, we have kind of trouble wrapping our minds around, but that's just how it was. This was a revolutionary idea at the time. It all started because these daughters had enough faith to trust in the promise of God. Meanwhile, there's Moses. He's doing his best to serve God. He's leading this, a group of stubborn people that despite seeing all the miracles of God in Egypt that set them free, that they just still couldn't wrap their mind around that they could trust this God as they're wandering through the wilderness to the land of promise. And here he is presented with this impossible how the world operated from the culture that he not only participated in but approved of it was so different from his understanding and thinking despite being obvious that he had to go to God and say God I, I need a special revelation from you while he did not understand the moment and how to proceed forward he still had faith in God enough to go to God and ask him for help Moses at this point to say, God, I got I got you now. We've already been through so much together. You've already shown me so much. I'm good to go. I don't need your help right now. I got this. But that's not what Moses does, is it? He goes straight to God and says, God, you tell me what I'm supposed to do. I, I don't know. I'm unsure. This is this is weird. I know what sounds right, but this is weird. Can you help me? And what does God say without hesitation? Give them the property. What they're saying is right. Give them the property. God strengthened the faith of both the daughters and Moses. 
daughters had the faith in the promise, and the faith of the God who made their promise. Moses had faith in God, even though he didn't trust what was happening before his eyes. Even though he, he had to go to God and say, God, I need a special revelation to, from you to let me know that this is okay. I mean, God, to me, this, this answer is obvious. It's the right thing to do. But God, I, I, I need you to let me know so. Will you show me? And God was faithful. God met the faith of Moses in that moment and showed him the way to go. Almost like that old song, you know, when, when, that says, When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. And that's what God does each and every time in our lives, right? If we have enough faith to go to him, even if we don't understand, even if we can't can't grasp what he's trying to do in our lives and do in the world around us, we can go to him and say, God, I don't get it. But I trust you. And, you, and I need you to show me. And he is faithful each and every time. If you go to God and you ask him to show you, he will. I remember one time as a youth pastor, I had probably the most discouraging moment of my entire life, in my entire ministry. I've been working with these group of teenagers for a couple of years, preaching this message about how God has called us to a life of holiness, and holiness means that we are called to love God and love others. It's that simple. And we had just finished up this amazing series, and, and, and the Holy Spirit had worked in the lives of these teenagers. Then on the van ride home that night, as I'm going to drop this young lady off, she starts going down a list of all the people in the youth group she hates. One by one. I'll be honest, as a youth pastor, I really considered stopping the van and making her walk the rest of the way. I really thought about it. And Nicole reminded me that I could go to jail for such things. that night I was just so discouraged so defeated I, I remember saying to God God what is the point why did you even bring me here I don't get it and, and God you better show me something because if you don't I, I don't know that this is worth it well that weekend we were heading into a winter retreat in our district kind of give you a little bit of the backstory that YouTube, our, our YouTube kind of absorbed another one so there was a natural friction between one group of students and another one because they were different. And it was a wall. No matter what I said, what I tried to do, I could not get those kids to play nice together. I had done everything but threaten them. Okay, I might have threatened them once or twice, but... But that weekend, on that Saturday night service, I watched the Holy Spirit do a miracle. Those students that couldn't stand each other, that all they did was fight, the Holy Spirit filled them with the love and compassion for each other, and they were going around the room praying for each other, not just praying for each other, telling them why they loved them and why they believed in them. And that changed that group forever. It wasn't that I doubted God, it wasn't that I didn't have faith in God, I doubted in what was happening. I asked God for a special revelation, and he gave it. He was faithful. Church, do we need a special revelation from God? Come on, let's think about this. All right, we're, we're in 2020. 
in the United States of America that has a that begins its founding document by saying we stand on these self-evident truths that all men are created equal. Do we do we really need a special revelation for God that, that tells us to do the right thing and, and tells us to believe in people no matter what? Do we really need a special revelation God from God for that? No. God's already divine, defined that for us when he gave us the definition of holiness. And that definition of holiness is love God and love others. You cannot be holy. You cannot be sanctified if that is not your life. If you don't love others, you cannot love God. This highway of holiness that we're on, this road of holiness, that's what it is. We're pursuing God with a relentless passion. We love him above everything else. We consider all things besides Jesus a bunch of rubbish. Even the gifts that he's given us. And even those gifts that he's given us, we love God enough and we love the others in our lives enough to know that God has given, those, has given us those things for his glory. And we are to be sharing those with him. So we don't need a special revelation from God to tell us what the right thing is and that we should do it. That we should love God and love others no matter what. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the race is. It doesn't matter what the gender is. It doesn't matter the lifetime situation. We know as believers in Jesus that his grace is indeed for all. That his blood was shed for all and it has the forgiveness for everybody, no matter where they are in life. It has the power to transform them and empower them and use them for his kingdom's sake. We don't need a revelation to tell us that. No, what we need, we need faith in God to allow us to hear their cries for help, to hear the cries of that, of that person caught up in addiction, to hear the cries of that person who's, who has no place to live, doesn't have the money to, to make ends meet. We need God to give us the heart to hear, hear the voice of that young woman going into that clinic who doesn't believe there's any other option. We need God to help us to hear the voice of those crying out because their situation, their country is so bad that they're trying to escape it by any means necessary. I'm not trying to make a political statement right there. I'm not trying to say, but what I'm saying is it's God's people. Yes, our, our government has separated church and state for a reason. That was to protect us. But that decision by the government to separate church and state does not separate the Christian from that call to love and that call to responsibility to love his neighbor. We don't need a special revelation from God to tell us that he loves everybody and he wants to save them all. No, we need him to give us the ears to hear, to hear the cry and how to get them there. At the same time, though, we may be like Moses. We may, be, we may even be like those white trustees of that church. That church. We love God, but we just can't fathom how he would work outside of what's accepted and normal. It's not that we doubt God. It's not that we don't have faith in the power of God and his love. It's that we just, it's so different from what we used to. It's so outside of our way of thinking that we just can't wrap our minds around it. But the beauty of it is we can go to God like Moses and say, God, I don't understand. 
Even if the truth is obvious, even if the answer is right in front of our eyes, we can go to God and say, God, I need a revelation from you. And he is faithful. And he will give you the revelation that you're seeking. If you are seeking it. So do we need a special revelation from God? Eh, yeah, maybe. When you think about it, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was so sure he was serving God in his early days. He was so sure that this thing called the, the way was not of God, that he was doing everything he could to stomp it out. And it took Jesus coming to him on the road to Damascus in a bright, shining light. It took God himself coming to him in a special revelation to say, stop it. Follow me. Church, we might need, maybe we need that revelation today. Not because we don't have the faith in God, but that, so that we can trust in what God's showing us. Do you have the faith? I want you to think about that. I want to think about where you I want you to think about where you are and how you can answer that question. As Barry and Jeremy come and lead us in the closing song.